It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Jason Breifel. Today I'm joined in the studio uh, by three reporters. Senior reporter at Federal Times, Jesse Burr, senior correspondent and government executive, Charlie Clark, and executive editor at the the Federal News Network, Jason Miller. Uh, This roundtable will be discussing what the heck is going on right now, um, how feds are being affected, what's happening with the shutdown as we are about to enter our almost fourth week uh, of the much of the government closed and the first day where it looks like uh, the 800,000 uh, furloughed federal employees will be missing their paycheck unless a deal can be struck. Um, and uh, we will also uh, t- take a look back at, at some of the important things that happened in, in 2018 and um, uh, how they may affect the rest of the year, uh, given everything else that's going on. Uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. Uh, thanks so much for being here with us, uh, Jesse, Charlie, and Jason. Um, so where are we at uh, right now? I know that this situation is fluid and dynamic. Um, and so where are we at right now today at 11 o'clock? Charlie? Well, it's an unusual shutdown in that it's the third one uh, within a year, and there's really no negotiating progress that people are reporting. And the the latest uh, feeling is that as President Trump and his allies move towards possibly declaring an emergency to uh, derive uh, money for the southern border wall from existing accounts, maybe the Army Corps of Engineers, DHS, that uh, that might be a uh, an opportunity for negotiators to come up with a pace-saving way of reopening the government and uh, fight it out in court. Yeah, I think uh, you know the House keeps putting forward funding bills, but without any indication that the Senate plans to bring any of those to the floor anytime soon. It's definitely in a standoff mode right now. What's interesting to me about where we're at today is with past shutdowns. If you look back to 2013, for example. There was always a little bit of progress. You saw, you know, the 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 aides, the committee aides talking with the White House, and, and you didn't have this kind of feeling of, I'll call it a little bit of hopelessness. I think there's more of a feeling, especially among federal employees, especially among contractors who are not going to get paid, that there's this feeling of hopelessness because there's not any obvious progress that's being made. Both sides feel from a political standpoint, they've, they have a mandate. You know, if you think about President Trump, he got elected on the wall. You think about the Democrats in the House specifically, they just won the big midterm election and they feel like they have a mandate from their voters to oppose what Trump wants. And so there's these really, it's two rocks and they're both caught between the hard place, I guess. Yeah. In the House votes on the two or three appropriations bills in the last couple of days, there's been a rising number of Republicans who voted yay. Uh, uh, I think it went up to 12 in one of the bills that was voted on yesterday. And, uh, and today, uh, uh, they, the House is uh, likely to pass uh, a, a retroactive pay uh, for the federal employees' approval, which uh, has cleared the Senate and which President Trump has indicated he would sign. But I don't think that's so. I mean, I think that's to be expected that the president will sign it. I mean, he admits, and and whether you believe him or not, that the federal employees support him or not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not their fault. They they are just the pawns. And we saw that at the rally that NTU and others held yesterday. You saw lots of signs that said, "I don't want to be a pawn. I want to go back to work." And I think that's the feeling that that a lot of federal employees and contractors have is, "Why are we caught in the middle here?" This this and so I think more Republicans will cross on those non controversial agencies. Agriculture is the interior is the Justice Department. I think when the the DHS bill without the funding will be key if they get to that in the next you know week or two. Yeah, I think no one really wants to be the antagonist of the federal employees right now. So I think everyone's probably on board for at least making sure that they will get paid after the shutdown ends. But of course, 
contractors are not guaranteed that. You know, we've heard some contracting companies will dip into their savings to be able to pay employees or they'll do, uh, you know, uh, vacation pools of employees that are still working. But a lot of contractors will never get this money back. I think that's the big issue that that we don't talk enough about. I mean, mm-hmm. people like to kind of always kind of contractors are the bad guys or the bad women, and and we always like to say, oh, how much profit do they make? And and it's interesting. I uh, we had a column from a procurement lawyer of all people earlier this week, and one of the points he made was a suggestion of how to pay contractors. But he goes, listen, the margins are really tight in the federal government. People forget about that. Yes, people make money. Yes, there are profits, and and yes, there are. Perfect examples of people making way too much money. The the what was it? Try the five hundred dollar toilet seat or something. The hammer, but but there's plenty of of, of 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 examples where there's not a lot of money being made, and conscious small businesses especially are yeah. being hurt in a big way. And I think what it will take to get some movement is not the federal employees complaining, if you will, or or uh, complaining is not a very nice word, <laughs> Jason. I guess I should say federal employees making a, a loud stance on this, but it's the contractors and it's the other people in in the community, the the farmers and the the growers and the agriculture people and the people who are taking advantage of of, of obviously need the food stamps and medical care. That's not happening. I think th- when those mm-hmm. people start to rise up is when we'll start to see movement, in my view. And the contractors also suffer from a lack of communication because the the shutdown happened pretty quickly on December 21st. And uh, I was told that some of them who work inside the agency buildings didn't know whether they should show up and they showed up and they were locked out physically. And uh, they've been advised by uh, groups like the Professional Services Council to keep careful documentation of the hours that their employees, these are the contracting firms, keep track of the hours their employees are missing and it, though it's not guaranteed to be uh, compensated they can use it in renegotiating things next year. It's also going to be interesting with all of the reforms that GSA is trying to work for some of its uh, big contracts. Are people in the coming year going or contracting companies going to decide that it's not worth it to take the risk to join in on these new contracts with the federal government? Especially the smaller, agile Mm -hmm. firms that we (laughs) constantly are trying to find ways to bring into the government, but who are most uh, adversely impacted and and least able to weather these types of storms. Another irony is that some of the agencies shut down are the ones that uh, are help with border security. And, uh, uh, you know, the FBI, even though Trump has been pretty tough on the FBI uh, for his own reasons, uh, they... um, I did a piece on their petition that came out yesterday asking for the Congress to rush out the Justice Department appropriations bill so they can get back to work. And FBI agents, like intelligence officers, have security clearances, and security clearances are dependent on you not incurring sudden and deep debts because it makes you vulnerable to bribery and things. So if they can't make a mortgage payment and they become more vulnerable to – sinking into debt. And there, there was one anecdote that the head of the FBI Agents Association talked about where a, as soon as the shutdown started, one of the special agents wrote to his bank and said, I am furloughed. I may miss next month's mortgage payment. And the uh, bank said, we appreciate you letting us know, but you will still be charged the uh, late fees. And, and let's be clear, because even when feds do get paid, when they get retroactive pay, there's interest that accrues if you miss a mortgage payment or if you miss a credit card payment or if you miss any payment, there's always, you know, these these places tend to add interest to it. So your pay is not going to equal that interest. So you're even if in many ways even further behind than just, okay, I can make my mortgage because now I've gotten paid, but now you have that interest side too. So it's, it's much more difficult than I think people give credit to the, the situation that the feds are in and contractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then some of them are, uh, as the Post reported this morning, uh, selling their valuable possessions, rare books, whatever, on, on eBay and, uh, you know, applying for unemployment. Uh, we've published a few numbers on this in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, which um, is ha- humiliating to uh, many people, too. I mean, it's there's a little bit of a stigma to it that maybe people don't always want to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I want to... We need to go into our our first break, but I want to come back to this point about how does this affect morale of employees inside agencies? How does this affect, uh, you know, recruiting efforts? You know, kids who are in college right now 
probably aren't thinking too positively about federal employment, but also with the issue you brought up about the the FBI Agents Association, you know, what what kind of security risks risks may be emerging as we see prolonged shutdowns um, in agencies? I've seen some of the uh, airlines and pilots expressing concerns. You know, the FDA is not doing uh, anything but critical meat inspections. So we'll dive into that um, after our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Um, I'm going to pick back our conversation with Jesse Burr from Federal Times, Charlie Clark from Government Executive, and Federal News Network's Jason Miller talking about the, uh, the shutdown and effects on uh, kind of feds themselves, but also agency operations and other issues that, um, as we see the, effect, the shutdown drag on, um, may increasingly creep into the public's consciousness. Uh, and, and I did want to uh, hear some more from you about the what you all are hearing and seeing at, at agencies when workers are furloughed and uh, how is that affecting, you know, the, the security of whether it's our borders, our airports, our food supply, um, certainly the economy, if, uh, um, you know, not approving bank loans and mortgages, things like that. What, what are you starting to hear and see uh, are agencies putting information out about this? Um, uh, how are the communities affected responding? There's not a ton of information coming from agencies right now, because if you think about those agencies that are shut down, about nine total, the websites are the first things that go offline. And when I say offline, I don't mean like they're they're black, right? There's nothing to see. It's just there's a big you know poster, you know, a big, big line across the top that says, we will not be updating this website. So how else are the, you know, if you think about the way we communicate these days, you post something online, you send out a blog post, you you kind of do some sort of social media. Well, all of that is kind of gone dark until the shutdown is over because they can't spend money on something that's considered non-essential. So in many ways, what's happening with loans, what's happening with, you know, farm service agency, what's happening with USDA, what's happening with Interior Department, National Parks, and that's people just don't know or it's not easy to find. Well, the other thing is that professionals in government who are uh, scientists and economists have a lot of conferences planned. And this is hard to get across, I think, to average citizens out in the hinterland about how important that these once every two year professional conferences on some topic that they've spent months preparing for Mm -hmm. and they have to cancel their appearance there even though they were one of the central planners. I was talking to some people with Agriculture Economic Research Service who had this issue and they they just feel like it's uh, it really really lowers morale uh, in a way that um, is hard to get across I think during the political debate. Yeah, and I think probably the thing that's most visible to the American public is we've got tax season coming up, and the IRS has backup plans for bringing on workers to work without pay, but I think the services for advising taxpayers, particularly in light of a new tax program, um, are not going to be as good as they could have been because the agency can't have all of its workers on staff and ready to handle this. Yeah, and the get people trained to answer the phone queries for filing season, but also even at the more sophisticated level of uh, dealing with tax professionals who represent corporations and small businesses, uh, especially with the new tax law still uh, being implemented, uh, it's difficult for uh, accountants and uh, enrolled agents who represent uh, sophisticated taxpayers to uh, get an audience with uh, somebody they need to at the IRS. Mm-hmm. And I think, Charlie, you bring up a great point about conferences. I, I wrote a story this week about the conference circuit. We all spend so much time at conferences. You know, if, if I'm not at a conference, you know, two or three times a week or more, it, it's a light week. And the, the federal IT world, let's just bring it down a little bit. That's how work gets done. I mean, if you think about a federal CIO who speaks at a conference, that's how they communicate their needs, 
their their challenges, their priorities, and industry. That's how industry can communicate in very, in, a, in a neutral setting, a, a non, if you will, aggressive setting. Of course, some people may say <laughs> certain conferences are way too aggressive, but I, I think I think generally speaking, that that has a huge trickle down effect as well. If you think about the restaurants and the and the hotels and the venues and the conference, the Washington Convention Center or the Reagan, you know, international, uh, whatever they call it these days, conference place. There's a there's a trickle down effect that hurts caterers, that hurts the small businesses that we go buy coffee, the mm -hmm. Starbucks of the world, the the all that kind of has that flow down effect that you're starting to see as we get closer in. Uh, just this week alone, a firm canceled their or postponed their event to later in the month. Uh, the Association of Government Accountants had, was supposed to have an event this week. They moved it to the end of January. Uh, the Homeland Security Department Science and Technology Director was supposed to have a big cyber innovation show, so, showcase. That's been postponed indefinitely. They said maybe April timeframe. Uh, I talked to ACT IAC. They still are going to have an event next week. But now as the shutdown continues, they have to start looking at when do we start looking at some of these other events. And mm -hmm. one of the other pieces that you, maybe people don't recognize is an organization like AGA. They do a ton of training courses for federal employees as part of their everyday kind of, hey, this is the services we provide, and those training classes aren't happening. So that also becomes delayed, and that many times is not going to be um, made up. Yeah. And I think a lot of agencies have said, you know, we don't always know what we need until we're told what's out there. And I, if you don't have these conferences where agencies might have tables or they're sending representatives to meet with IT experts or experts in whatever field it is to talk about what the new innovations are, um, agencies are less aware of what kinds of contracts they should be pursuing for the future to keep the government up to date and modern. Well, canceling conferences also hurts recruiting uh, at, at the, again, the, the higher levels where scientists uh, and uh, more other academics uh, who, so, some of this is a little bit of um, patting themselves on the back from the agency saying that, uh, that we attract uh, people who have lots of options in the private sector at higher pay. And that's true in certain, maybe in the law and then some other uh, more specialized uh, IT uh, uh, fields. But uh, it's it's still, uh, the government is not being regarded as a stable place to have a peaceful career the way it might have been before these shutdowns became so it's almost routine. I wanted to add one other thing about contracting uh, you know, a lot of the uh, cafeteria workers and building maintenance staffs at uh, agencies are contractor employees, and uh, they are out of luck, too, in getting paid if they can't get in the buildings and to do their work, and there's nobody there to, to consume the food. And uh, L D.C. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton has reintroduced a bill she introduced last year to try and get, get them paid uh, retroactively. And I think that's a great bill. I think that's, again, we're going back to maybe the first segment of the discussion. That's kind of an underlooked or overlooked, I guess, uh, part of this shutdown impact is that the people who support the agencies, like the janitorial services, like the cafeteria workers, and, and even some of the other you know low-wage people that you don't really necessarily notice until they're not there anymore, I think that's a huge issue. And I think that the government should. They, ha they have a responsibility to make those people whole. And I could, you know, even go a step further and say they have a responsibility to make all the contractors whole, but that's a whole, that's mm -hmm. another can of worms, maybe. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to bounce off of the sort of hiring stability. Um, someone mentioned to me that with Amazon's HQ2 coming into the area, an argument that Amazon is now able to make to potential IT workers in the Washington, D.C. area is you're not going to get furloughed if you're working for Amazon. Um, and that could put some dangerous restraints on who the government is able to no, hire. No, but you will get fired. <laughs> I'm not sure furloughed is better or worse than fired. It's but, a different but, kind but, of insecurity. It's a different kind of insecurity. So I saw that too, and, and, and I kind of laughed a little bit at that at that that uh, survey. You know, surveys are like, hey, would you, would you work at Amazon? Yeah, I'd work at Amazon. Oh, wait a minute, they're going to lay off 20,000 people. Oh, I don't want to work there now. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, I, also, a lot of the, the good government groups uh, stress that most federal workers have a mission of public service. Mm -hmm. And may, this may be a little idealistic because, I mean, you know, like every organization, there can be people who are there for more selfish reasons. But uh, the, 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 there's a feeling that uh, you not only have an interesting subject matter job and good colleagues, but you're contributing to the nation's well 
well-being. And that's maybe a little different from the type of people who are more interested in the private sector. And I think that's, I'm sorry, Jason, I'm sorry. I think this is why it's so sad about the government employees are being used as pawns and contractors, because even though there is a, and I'll use your words, Charlie, maybe sometimes they're more selfish. I mean, you got to make money, right? You got to, you got to make a living. You got to pay your mortgage, your rent. You got to pay for your food. If you have kids, you got to pay for eventually college as somebody who's, you know, on that cusp of a, it's all very uh, scary, but but I think every federal employee, most federal employees I've talked to over the years, they really do have that sense of service. They really do have that sense of trying to make the world better. And it's not, uh, I would say we talk about it in an idealistic way, but I, the, the more federal employees and contractors I talk to, they do believe that. Mm-hmm. And and yes, no one's, not everyone's perfect. And yes, there are, so, there are plenty of people out there you can point to as, as selfish or, or we're not in it for the right reasons. But I think most generally are. Yeah, and I think I heard a federal employee essentially sum it up by saying, I love my job, I love the work I do and and the mission that I have, but my family comes first. And so if feds have to leave service in order to feed their families, some of them are going to have to do that. And I think that'll be a really important thing from my perspective to watch is, you know, the federal employee viewpoint survey shows, you know, 90, 95% of feds are dedicated to the mission and are looking for better ways to do their jobs. Um is there a point at which that dedication is finally broken or, you know, the flip side, you know, is, is that fact being leveraged by the administration to continue dragging this out uh, in this political battle over, over the, the wall and border security um, because they're hoping that feds will continue sticking around uh, even with, with, with these challenges. I think that'll be really interesting to see if we finally snap that. Um, that's the really long tail of this shutdown. How many people leave? Is there a spike in retirements? Is there a spike in, in attrition that's non-retirement related? That would be the, in mm-hmm. six months, we can talk about it again. And does the imbalance between young workers and uh, older, more experienced federal workers get worse because newer people aren't signing on to be government workers because of this? Uh, one thing about the political context, uh, the polls appear to show that more people uh, are blaming uh Trump, uh, not so much the Republicans in general, but Trump over the Democrats. And uh, maybe most respondents are not so in favor of the wall and want the government to be reopened. But past uh, shutdowns have shown that those issues of who's to blame for the shutdown are often forgotten a a year later (laughs) uh, when the election year starts up again. So I don't think it's really been used during actual campaigning as a uh, charge against your opponent. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, JC said, the, 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 the attrition and, and, and workforce impacts will be the long tail. Is there a potential positive side in that, in that uh, federal employees are, are being better humanized to the American public as all of these stories are coming out about, you know, the TSA worker who pulled their family out of poverty by having a stable job. And now they're wondering if they're going to be homeless with their two children that I read in, you know, uh, you know, is, does that uh, uh, creep into the national consciousness or is the, the, the terrible bureaucrat, you know, forever etched in, in our ethos? I'm going to go back to something Charlie just said uh, a year from now, people forget about shutdowns and the impact of shutdowns. So in the short term, yes. In the long term, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, as Charlie said, people forget who, who's to blame, and they just remember remember when the when the government was shut down, and I hate the government again. That that whole I hate the government. Every time I hear that, I, I'm I'm always quick to point out, wait a minute, wait a minute, you hate the government or you hate Congress? Well, yeah, yeah, that. Oh, okay. and they don't hate their own member of Congress. No, of course not. Yeah. yeah. It's just, well, the little plug for the Partnership for Public Service. They they have a little shout out to a, a, a Fed. Uh, opportunity for people just like you know they do their uh distinguished the, the distinguished rank awards that the sca does and and the uh uh what, what is the partnerships um, uh the sammy's Sammy Sammy yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, i've written about it many times but i uh so they're 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 still trying to use it as an opportunity to uh shine a spotlight on people who are uh overlooked Great. Well, I think this is. Uh, we're going to go into our next break, and we'll we'll come back in. We're going to talk about what else is going on. I know the shutdown's dominating everybody's uh, perspective and attention, but uh, there is there are movements in other areas of government. There is a significant part of the government that's still open, and there's also a lot of other issues out there. 
uh, that that employees and agencies are um, facing. We'll talk about that uh, when we come back from a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. I'm joined by a, a roundtable of, of reporters, and uh, we spent most of the show talking about the, the shutdown, the effects on feds, contractors, the, the broader community, and the American public. But uh, there is a lot of other things going on. We have a, a new Congress with a significant Democratic majority, um, uh, so no longer unified Republican control uh, of government, uh, the Defense Department, um, the uh, Health and Human Services. There are significant parts of the government that are are still open. So, you know, beyond the shutdown, what else are, are you all seeing or paying attention to that that might be flying under the radar? Is there life beyond the shutdown? We'll see. Is there any is there any other news beyond the shutdown? <laughs> no, uh, I think I think Jason, you bring up some interesting points, and I think let's start with Congress. I think the changes in the House is something that both are interesting now and will be even more interesting in three, four, five months from now. Not just because of the investigations and the and the oversight that they're going to conduct, but because you have a new set of chairmen and ranking members, you have so much turnover that the new ideas, the new ways that they want to see agencies work, the management side, the IT side, the acquisition side, how do you kind of get people to, if you will, uh, uh, the, what ideas come from that? And and then not only the ideas, but what kind of hearings, uh, you know, you can go past the new oversight and reform committee, right? Did I get that new right? New name. New yeah. name. Same mission, new name. It's like Federal News Network. Um, <laughs> a selfish plug. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's we'll look at their first three hearings they announced. It was like Michael Cohen. It was it's very political, which is fine. That's what they do. But let's let's go underneath the layer and see what's going to happen. And that, to me, will be interesting as well. Jerry Conley, what does he end up doing as an example from the congressman from Virginia? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of fear among pundits and observers that the Democrats are taking the oversight role to, to, to extremes and, and making it nonstop politics. And so... Uh, and Mitch McConnell warned of presidential harassment. And last August, uh, the House uh, oversight staff put together a list of uh, 100 topics that they thought and feared that the Democrats would uh, obsess on when they, when they, if, they, if and when they took over. Now, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, they have uh, been careful to make the first two or three bills uh, having to do with reform of, of government and, you know, voting process. And, and uh, they, uh, Elijah Cummings, who's the uh, chairman now of the Oversight and Reform Committee, has what he called two lanes of topics. And uh, one of them has to do with uh, reviewing a, a lot of these pent-up investigations of things like uh, former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt's uh, travel uh, abuses that they felt they didn't get a fair shake at when they were in the minority and they could, didn't have subpoena power. But they're also dealing with a lane that they call things that the American people want, you know, th things like addressing uh, the, the opioid crisis and uh, you know, look, looking back at the uh, hurricane uh, responses uh, in uh, Texas, Florida, and in uh, Puerto Rico, for example. A lot of areas that they feel were, were underexplored, but they don't necessarily have to become so political in what they uh, explore. Yeah, I think the rules package that the House passed 
gives us a hint that that the newly democratically controlled House will probably be focusing a lot on the operations and processes of government, including those of Congress, and how do we better examine those, how do we improve those, that sort of thing. So we'll see what specifically that shakes out to be in terms of hearing topics and whatnot, but I think we're going to see a lot of hearings about that. We shouldn't also forget about the Senate. Now, even though the, the Republicans continue to control the Senate, there's a, been a fair amount of change over there, too. Um, the Homeland Security Governmental Affairs Committee has a new ranking member in Gary Peters. It's going to be interesting to see what he focused on. We know for, former ranking member Senator Claire McCaskill, who lost her seat, was very focused on contracting. She did a lot on contracting, but she did a, a very specific kind of contracting the overseas, the OCO for DOD. So I think, will he follow the same? Will he go in a different direction? I mean, that that committee has lost some of its, I'll call it some of its interest from my perspective, because they're so focused on things that are kind of outside of the governmental affairs side. And even the, the, the weedy Homeland Security side, they're really at a level that, for me at least, we didn't spend a ton of time with them over the last year. And I think, you know, that's driven by the, the chairman, uh, Ron Johnson, mm -hmm. uh, the senator from Wisconsin. Yes. I got that right. Yes. And maybe also from Senator McCaskill, because it was things that you're just going, okay, well, that is not as, as interesting as, for instance, when Senator Lieberman ran the committee or even um, Senator Collins, when she ran the committee, there were things that, that was more in that management, government, IT, acquisition, workforce world. Yeah. Also, I, I think that there may, may be an opportunity for uh, the public to learn more about the purpose of oversight, that uh, there was a time in the uh, 80s and 90s when uh, oversight was more bipartisan and that it was a separate branch of government being a check on agencies to uh, uncover uh, waste or misappropriations, uh, mis uh, but whether the programs are actually effective and it would be in the interest of both parties to, if we're going to have this program, it, sh it should be effective. Somehow that got lost and it become became a little more of a political gotcha game. And uh, the uh, Trey Gowdy, who just rotated off and left, left the House of Representatives, uh, acknowledged that he he thought of oversight uh, as the way it had unfolded was simply each party trying to embarrass the other party, and uh, it, there really is a, a, a constitutional role for for oversight. The irony of Trey yeah. Gowdy saying that though is pretty funny. If you've ever seen Trey Gowdy at a uh, at a hearing, his the lawyer in him, and I'm just assuming he was a, a, a lawyer who became a, a member of Congress. Came out as an embarrassment way, and and I, I, just a quick story. I remember um, watching a hearing, and you know that red light goes on, and the congressman, I remember who it was, just the head exploded, and, and they were ranting and raving. And as soon as it was over, they went up to the person that they kind of went off against and shook their hand and was like, "Hey, you know, something effective. I put, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, nice job up there or something." And I'm going wait a minute, you just yelled at them for 15 minutes <laughs> and now you're going up and being like, nice job. So you, you at that point I see, okay, the the the, the actor side, the, the the drama that they want to pull out of it is just, it, it's a, it, it has lost that piece that as you described it, Charlie. But I think well, you are, I think you ahead, are seeing in some of the subcommittees at least uh, hints of what the oversight job is supposed to be because uh, yeah. it's in the weeds. It's stuff that the constituents are not paying as much attention to. Um, and I think the mm -hmm. members of those committees feel a little bit more freedom to just talk and ask questions about how things are actually working. That, that's a great point. Yeah, and the agency professionals uh, will trust the uh, uh, congressional staff and members more uh, to be frank about what's really going on if they don't feel like there's going to be all this gotcha and they'll, they'll be dragged into political arguments, which they obviously have to avoid. If I'm not mistaken, the, the evidence-based policy uh, proposals have finally made it into law. Yes, yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see now that Congress has issued, you know, issued this mandate that we're going to follow the real facts. Um, will, will that affect this dynamic between, you know, oversight and, and managing the government and overseeing programs? Um, you mean it's or, different than or, the Government's Performance Results Act? It's different but, but than the Government's I, Performance I, Results Modernization yeah. Act? It's different by, oh, okay, sorry. I, I, <laughs> Program I don't, Management I'm not, Act. Yeah. <laughs> let, uh, let me not be cynical for a second, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I too have thought about how, you know, evidence can be politicized. Uh, everyone can read numbers different ways, but hopefully not. All right. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, 
Well, beyond, so, you know, Jason, one thing you mentioned about um, Homeland Security and governmental affairs, I have heard that Senator Peters uh, uh, claims himself to be a GAC guy. So government affairs, he claims, will be kind of what he focuses on and, and trying to get into the, the nitty-gritty at, at the subcommittee level. Um, we still have uh, Senator Lankford, who has been really interested mm-hmm. and uh, paid a lot of attention to workforce issues, especially hiring, cyber, some of these other areas that he's bipartisan. Uh, you actually ways. look yeah. like uh, the, uh, things that could get over the finish line, even in a divided Congress. Uh, we, I don't believe we ne- yet know who uh, his dance partner as the ranking partner, uh, ranking member will be. Um, so, like you said, Jesse, it'll be interesting to see that how those relationships firm up and and how that could affect the agenda um, going forward. Uh, related to that is the issue of nominees and leadership roles on the political side inside of agencies. Uh, you know, are we going to see new faces hauled up to the hill for these oversight meetings? Maybe some old faces uh, for folks who've who've since left uh, the administration. What are what are you uh, thinking there? Well, there's still uh, a, an inordinately large number of vacancies. Uh, it's partly because uh, President Trump himself uh, early on avowed that he didn't want to fill a lot of these jobs. Uh, I got the latest numbers from the. Partnership for Public Service Washington Post tracker, and out of 706 uh, key jobs, uh, there's still been no nominee for 264 of them. And uh, certain agencies, the State Department is one that I focused on. Uh, there's only like, I think 51% of the jobs have been uh, f- filled, and there's a lot of key positions like a chief financial officer and things that are still vacant. And uh, uh, one of the issues that I think there's problems recruiting because a lot of uh, people do not uh, want to work for uh, the current administration. I think that uh, you see that in when they try and fill even the key White House jobs. Mm-hmm. And the fact yeah. that there are as many of the White House jobs vacant as there are, I think, just takes attention away from some of the smaller nominees that um, get less public attention because everyone wants to know who's going to be running the DOD, who's going to be running you know, X, Y, and Z cabinet agency, um, which then changes the priorities of Congress. I would make the case that most of the big jobs, interior, EPA, DOD, those will be filled. Uh, But as Charlie pointed out, the 260 some that are still vacant, uh, I'm not sure those will ever be filled. And when you look at a job, the one that I've been paying very close attention to is in an office of management budget, the office of federal procurement policy. Uh, October was two years since Ann Rung, the the last yeah. confirmed person left. They have so they haven't had a, a really someone running that shop. I mean, Leslie Field, Matthew Blum are, are really great people, very smart, but they have not had a Senate confirmed person in there for for more than two years. And there's some discussion of well, why would they? It's been running fine for two years, and even if it's they nominate someone t- tomorrow, right? The White House nominates someone tomorrow, that person is not going to get in the in, in there until. The fall at, at earliest, you know, they go through the confirmation process, especially on something like OFPP that's not considered as seen as important by Congress. So you're going to be there for roughly a year. And, and then what are you going to and then is it an even an easy confirmation process? Why, why bother doing it at this point? So I, I think that's really there's a bigger, bigger problem, you know, for an, for an administration that wants to do IT modernization, that wants to do, you know, bring in you know, OTAs, other transactional authority type of contracting wants innovation. And you have a key place at OFPP that does not have a Senate confirmed leader. I think to me, that's a big sign of of a problem. And that has a bigger effect than, for instance, a, forgive me, chief financial officer at at an agency, even though they're a very important position too. I think, you know, one thing I want to continue pulling the thread on this, it's the the combination of a, a lack of confirmed or you know just otherwise senior political leadership, um, and therefore acting career folks. But you know ha- what happens when you're coupling that situation up with your agency's also shut down. You know uh, who yeah. is making those critical decisions? Uh, is it just a kind of conservatorship? Stake uh, uh, hold hold the line, and and the, the things will keep going as, well, as most usual. Have deputy secretaries at the very least, if not you know the acting secretary. So those are those those that that top three, four, five political appointees are there. It's that next level down. The CFOs on this case are and, and the general counsels that are really I think but feeling those, the brunt. The uh, 
procurement office people, of course, are career. Right. And so uh, career people can take things only so far in terms of changing direction. And so there, there's a lot of delayed reforms. Uh, and that's to the disadvantage of the administration itself, too. I mean, if they want to make their mark on it, uh, they would be better served to have somebody nominated. Yeah, I think there's a number of career people who have essentially said, we can do the work without um, the Senate-confirmed personnel there, but we're not going to be doing anything that's innovative or, or change-worthy, or even if, if the career people are proposing something that's kind of a, a big change that could cause improvements, if there's no Senate-confirmed leadership, they might be hesitant to pursue that because then there's no one to take the the blame for <laughs> acquiescing. That's very true. The risk of version really pops in. And then if, if there is a, a nominee, there, let's see, they'll even slow things down more because, well, we want to wait till the nominee gets in. Right. Wow. Um, a lot of moving parts here. Um, we need to take our last break. Um, uh, we will return to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM after a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. We're in the last segment of our show with uh, Jesse Burr, senior rep reporter at Federal Times, uh, Charlie Clark, senior correspondent and government executive, and Jason Miller, executive editor of the Federal News Network here. Um, talked a lot about um, the shutdown and things that are going on right now. I did want to take a look in the rearview mirror a little bit before we, we, we looked forward once more. And, uh, you know, all things considered, there were some important things that, that happened in, in, in 2018 in the 115th Congress. Um, and I know each of you and, and your colleagues kind of did some, some year-end closeouts and, and looked at some, some trends and themes. Uh, what are some of the things that, uh, with everything going on, it's important for folks not to lose sight of? I think the thing that was big for me last year and will continue to be big probably this year was the proposed government reorganization. Um, we've already seen elements of that, like the Gear Center and like moving the background investigation work. Um, those have already gotten underway, but there were definitely a lot of proposals that somewhat required congressional approval or would certainly have a lot of congressional oversight that I think will be interesting in 2019 because now that you've got a Democrat-controlled House, they might be a little bit more leery of some of those proposals that they indicated they didn't like last year. So I think that's going to be something that, depending on how long the shutdown goes on and, and how much political capital each side has at the end of this, uh, will probably be a big factor. Yeah, it's a good point. The uh, fiscal 20 budget, which will is being prepared now, and will given the shutdown may have been delayed, but will be out uh, next month, is supposed to have uh, some more follow-up proposals uh, based on agency input on how to reorganize. Uh, one issue that I have been writing about uh, in the Agriculture Department, the Secretary Purdue has kind of unilaterally uh, decided to move uh, two uh, research offices uh, outside of the Washington area to put them closer to uh, agricultural stakeholders and uh, there is uh, the uh, statisticians and other uh, agricultural uh, interests, uh, academics and things are not happy with that. Uh, and uh, there is a bill to try and block that. Uh, we'll see whether it uh, gets makes any progress. I'm going to go in a totally different direction and talk about technology and IT and acquisition. And I think for me, the, the one of the big things we'll be watching is obviously the the DOD and their Jedi cloud procurement. This is the $10 billion, 10-year. Uh, it's, it's, it's the size, but it's also the 
the angling between Amazon, Microsoft, Oracle, IBM, the bid protests. I mean, this has drama and 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 soap opera written all over it. And it's going to be interesting. You know, right now DoD is reviewing proposals. And, you know, I've talked to some people and made the comment that I don't see this ever getting off the ground as it looks like today, which is a single vendor approach to to the idea of cloud computing for, you know, across all of DoD um, for, for specific instances, not for everything, but for, for a lot of it. Uh, that's a huge issue. And I think that's going to have a huge trickle down effect. And then the other piece of this is the same thing that's happening, but but similar thing that's happening over GSA, which a lot of agencies are starting to move big contracts to GSA to run. Uh, DISA with their DOS and other big cloud computing, and then also the FBI with one of their big IT services contracts. So there's a lot going on kind of underneath the the, the covers, if you will, that really could have a, a, a big impact over the next you know six to twelve months. The the things like moving these contracts to GSA is. GSA is, you know, many other employees are furloughed. How how are they being impacted by by these or those fee driven programs? I, I think GSA is, is funded. So yeah. because they are funded off, uh, if you will, user fees, or, okay. or or they get funding from agencies, uh, the Federal Acquisition Service continues to to work. The, the question is now, DoD is about sixty percent of their customer base. What that that other forty percent is still a big deal, and, and that's a big question that's kind of hanging out there, going tacking back to the beginning of our conversation about the furloughs and the shutdown. What's the again longer term tail effect? And even for those that have funding, because the uncertainty of the twenty twenty um, appropriations is still kind of playing out. But I think there is going to be an uncertainty impact of. We don't know whether to pursue these really big changes and things uh, if we don't know what the funding is going to look like for the future. And, and w- should we start the poll now? When when when's the next shutdown? <laughs> when, whenever this one ends, this partial one ends. When we talk twenty twenty budget, right? We, we th- that starts again. Are we going to face that in, in October one? Are we going to face it? In, you know, because because if this is bad today, is it going to get? Is, well, do we the, have any hope to get better? The Democrats' proposal was to pass. Uh, the three or four appropriations bills and open up all the agencies except for the bone of contention, which was Homeland Security, uh, where, where the southern border wall money would go. And that would be addressed in the month of February. That was their hope in uh, the first couple of weeks of January. But uh, there hasn't been much progress, as we've said. And yeah. we're getting closer and closer to February every day. So. Well, and it, it, it does appear that uh, especially appropriators who, especially in the Senate, really did do their job last year. Uh, you've seen remarks from Chairman uh, Richard Shelby from Alabama, who just seems beyond himself with, uh, we actually did our job. Yeah. We, we cleared these bills on a significant majority uh, at the end of the 115th Congress. And then uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the change in direction from the president led to those bills not being able to clear the House and, and the situation we now find them ourselves in. Um, it, I, I think it will really be very interesting to see how the, the budget situation plays out and it affects some of these huge other areas of, of where the government is going um, other than just kind of some of the chaos we're seeing right now. One of the bills that didn't quite make it through almost was, uh, it's called the IG subpoena act and it would give inspectors general a little more authority to uh, coerce uh, interviews and maybe even testimony from retired uh, uh, feds and uh, at the justice department, for example, the, uh, the IG uh, Michael Horowitz is, is, is not allowed to uh, interfere with the office of special professional responsibility. And they, they want more leeway and, uh, that that might uh, come back, be reintroduced. Although the the sponsor uh, Steve Russell was defeated in his reelection bid. I mean, also a very niche IG issue that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to is uh, with all these funding discussions. There's talk of wanting to give two million dollars to the Council on Inspectors General to improve Oversight.gov because right now it has no funding, um, and the. People, you know, the inspectors general across many agencies really want this funding. They want to be able to do lots more complicated things to show their data to the public, um, and they don't have the money backing to be able to do that. So I'm going to be really interested to see if Congress, through all of this shutdown, uh, still pursues that money. 
Seems just, like a no-brainer for $2 million to find out and have a central central location for IG reports and They want to be able to search within documents, yep. uh, multi-documents. Multi mm -hmm. uh, and I'll just pile on just something that was really interesting in 2018. It'll get, I think, continue to be interesting in 2019. And speaking of oversight is the FBI building. And there's, a, I think, a, a disconnect, a continued disconnect within GSA between the IG and, and the, the administrator and who's running and, and the leadership at GSA. And I think that there is a lot of interest in Congress as well, because I think there's some, I'll call it hurt feelings in, in the Maryland and, and, and yeah. Virginia uh, communities about the, what the decision that was made. So I think that's something that's going to be watching, but also more broadly, the IG relationship with GSA. Great. Well, we've, we've got just a, our home stretch here, just a few more minutes, um, bringing it back around kind of what's the, in the next week or two what are what are the things that that you're going to be keeping our your eye on you know is it is it what's happening with federal federal employee pay uh the the shutdown continuing to to track the um the effects of uh this this impasse well i hope to explore soon just the, the procedures for handling shutdowns you know the professional services council in october had released a white paper on guidance, suggested changes in, in uh, OMB and agency guidance on how to uh, alert people in advance and, and allow uh, contractors to plan. And uh, the Trump administration does take a different approach at OMB. They are stretching the boundaries a little bit in uh, trying to uh, allow certain activities. We've already mentioned uh, bringing back uh, IRS people unpaid to process uh, tax refunds because they know that people who don't get their refunds become a political voice but there's other areas where they're kind of pushing for, for more authority, uh, and uh, it might be subject to legal challenges. I think that's a great point that Charlie brings up, is, is what, it, what the effort that OMB is making to reopen certain services, even for a short amount of time. You saw it with USDA as well, with SNAP, the SNAP program, finding money, IRS finding money, or finding a way to, to get things through. Uh, there was a big meeting yesterday. I think OMB sent out, uh, had a call with agencies about that. So uh, I'll be very interested to see what the next what, what the next pain point is that they're going to try to relieve. I mean, one of the things that Mick Mulvaney said, that Margaret Wicker has said, the DDM is we want to make the shutdown as painless as possible, and and I think they're trying to do that. And and they said that the previous administrations had weaponized shutdowns by enforcing the Anti Deficiency Act. But that's just a different reading of the law. Yeah. So, so, and, yeah. And yes, political plays into it. And I'm just going to be curious, like once we get past shutdown, whenever that is. Uh, <laughs> when is that? What's the bet? What's your poll? <laughs> oh, if I'm, if I'm going to be betting, I'm going to say end of next week. End of next week. Um, once the federal courts have shut, shut down on January 18th. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to be curious about how many agencies are having to play catch up on which programs and how much money that's costing and how many uh, programs have been derailed because of this couple weeks or month long period where no one's working good, good luck getting press people to give you an honest discussion of that too that's a it's a great idea <laughs> <laughs> uh great well uh we've covered a lot of ground today i know that with with everything going on uh your phones have probably been buzzing off the hooks uh so i really appreciate you all joining me today uh to, to catch our listeners up on on everything that's going on and, and look forward uh into the future um Jesse Burr, senior reporter from Federal Times, uh, Charlie Clark, senior correspondent from Government Executive, and uh, Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on, on those three publications. They're really keeping their, their nose to the stone to keep the, you all informed, uh, as we'll continue to do here on uh, FedTalk. FedTalk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs>